Hi there, it's Nick here. Thanks so much for your continued support of the Nick Luck Daily Podcast. Wherever you consume your podcast, it is great to have you with us. I would alert you again to the racing app which is your one-stop shop and the easiest place now to download the show each and every morning as soon as it's ready. Many of you are doing so already, and that's not just because you can get access to all 880 episodes of this show, and very easily as well, but you can also watch live races. You can watch all the replays, and you can stream in the card with an active Fitstairs account. So do download it now, uh, the racing app. It's your one-stop shop and you will be able to catch up on all the previous episodes of your favourite daily racing podcast. You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. It is Friday the 15th of December. Good, cold, wintry, grey day here in TW11. Uh, news just coming through to us that Ammo Racing, uh, the large ownership entity that is steered by Kia Jurabchan, a colourful figure in the sport. You remember we've spoken to him many times on this podcast, particularly memorable uh, interview after Kevin Stott was relieved of his role as first jockey they've just appointed David Egan as first jockey a Saudi cup winning rider David Egan um, he's going to leave his role as uh, Roger Varian stable jockey though of course he'll still be riding plenty for Roger Varian because uh, he uh, houses Ammo Racing's best horse King of Steel amongst others and is clearly very close to uh, um, that outfit uh, David Egan says I'm delighted to have signed a two year contract with Ammo I'd like to take this opportunity to thank Roger Hanako and all the very unstable team they've been like family to me since I first started in racing I'd like to thank them for their friendship and support over the last seven years I'm very excited about the new challenge ahead and look forward to being part of the Ammo racing team Rishi Passad is with mm. me joining me from Cheltenham uh, today we've got plenty to get through Rishi we may as well start with this because this is the latest news yeah, and, and big news, perhaps not that surprising that uh, Ammo Racing have uh, plumped for a, a rider who's obviously been very good over uh, a still relatively short space of time. Obviously, he came to real prominence um, with his partnership with Mishrif that earned him a great deal of money with that horse's international successes. Um, and obviously, he has ridden a fair amount of winners for Ammo Racing before. He's very close to Roger Ver and have been the stable jockey uh, for some time since he turned professional. Uh, somewhat surprisingly, when he uh, ended his, his spell as an apprentice to turn professional uh, a while back. And um, yeah, look, I, I'm, I'm not surprised that he's taken the job. Obviously, there'll be a lot of people in racing who'll be looking back at or looking at the decision, looking back at Amo's uh, record so far with Ross Ryan and, of course, most recently with Kevin Stott and saying, you know, how permanent is a job like this going to be? Well, he signed a two-year deal. Whether or not uh, it goes beyond that remains to be seen what happens in the next couple of years. But there's always a little element of of a nagging doubt as to the, the permanence of a relationship like this, considering the parties involved. Yeah, three things struck me here. Uh, first was that you know, Roger Varian is the interesting go-between here as far as he's he's had the job at Varian's. Varian is clearly... Um, one of uh, Keir Jarabshan's trusted and closest to trainers at the moment trains his best horse. So if Roger Varian thought it was a terrible idea, mm. I suspect he would have said, this is a terrible idea, <laughs> don't yes. do it. Clearly he doesn't think that. 
Uh, secondly, go back to the interview I did with Keir Drabchen when I said, you know, frankly, you're going to struggle to get another jockey now, aren't you? Or worse to that effect. And he said, <laughs> he, you know, he he we had a good, lively exchange of views. And he said, you know, who have I fallen out with? I don't fall out with people. And um, mm. maybe this is evidence that, you know, new relationships can be formed. And thirdly, David Egan is not um, asleep on the job here because he has mm. already been in an ownership retainer uh, with, with Prince Faisal. Yes when he was writing Mishrif. So his eyes are open to the vagaries of ownership retainers and sometimes how that can make your life great on one hand, because you ride great horses, and tricky yeah. on the other because you've got to kind of manage all your other interests, your other rides, your other trainers and whatnot. Yeah, and, and, and with that latter point in particular, Nick, I think a lot of people will look at a decision like this and think, okay, what's the most important thing when it comes down to the facts and figures? Am I going to get on good horses? You know, because that's going to be the most important thing. And the fact is that Amo Racing have good horses. They are getting more good horses. They're continuously upgrading the quality of horses. So at least for the next two years, David Egan is likely to be aboard some really smart horses, particularly King of Steel, who you've already referred to. And that keeps somebody in the picture, regardless of what happens, you know, with, re with regards to relationships, etc. As we know how fickle they can be in the sport of racing. If you're on good horses and you're putting your name in the in, in, in the headlines and in the limelight, then you've got a good chance of, of making a, a success out of it. So for David Egan, it makes sense financially. I'm sure it makes sense. And most importantly, I think he will be on good horses competing in the biggest races. Yeah, in addition, it seems that it, it means that at least one party is looking beyond the Frankie de Tory landscape. Um, <laughs> oh, well, he'll just come over and ride that. But, you know, yeah. uh, they're, clearly, they're clearly seeing beyond that. Interesting, in, interestingly, did you see his comments on the front of the, the paper this morning, the Racing yes. Post, Frankie de Tory? Uh, he emerged from the jungle and he said if he had his time now and he was a young jockey yeah. he wouldn't be he wouldn't be starting out in england because because the opportunities and lifestyle just just don't really um make enough appeal do you see where he's coming from yeah and i think it's i think it's important that he's actually said something like that frank and have he's pointed out you know he's done a lot for racing i know there are cynics out there that um, a critical of, of Frankie's standing over the particularly over the last 12 months and the whole, you know, retiring, not retiring. And some people have been a bit awkward about um, Frankie's legacy in some sense. But I, he has obviously the most wonderful record in the sport as a rider. And he's a, a huge figure for the sport outside of horse racing, as he pointed out himself in that article. And the thing that struck me most is that it's about time that someone like him, uh, you know, who has seen what sports are like outside, he's been, you know, he, he's been somebody who, as you mentioned, when he won the Magnificent Seven, you know, he went on top of the pops and he went on question the sport, etc. He became a big public figure and he knows where racing's position in the grand scheme of life in Britain stands. And he realizes, as he points out, that it's not the most um, attractive proposition for young people getting involved in the sport now. Um, you know, 30 years ago, perhaps, because it had a standing. But, you know, next Tuesday, it's sports personality. Uh, Frankie's nominated. Uh, in the year of his, uh, in quotes, retirement in, in Britain. But I can guarantee you that the, the, the nod to racing on sports personality is going to be limited, um, um, which reflects where we stand in, in the grand scheme of, of UK life. Well, uh, there's, it changes every year, sports personality. I cannot work out how the thing works. How many are there nominated? How many finalists are there? Oh, I have, I have no idea how many nominations. I, I don't understand how they come with, to the nominations now because there's some people who are not on the list who should be on the list, and uh, it's yeah, it's, it's a strange concoction. Uh, Certainly not like the sports personality I remember growing up, which I loved and enjoyed and never missed.
Uh, are you? Um, if this is he got any shot or not? No, I I can't see any chance for him winning. Um, and why is why isn't Ronnie O'Sullivan in the shortlist? Exactly, absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> I just don't understand how Ronnie O'Sullivan couldn't be in in the shortlist when you're talking about the quality of performance and you know sporting personalities. Just what he's doing at his age in a sport where you know historically you tend to to drop off at that sort of age that Ronnie O'Sullivan is. Um, he's still the man to beat. Uh, well, you know, I guess maybe it's a sta- uh, it's an indication of snooker standing on the sporting landscape in Britain. Okay, uh, um, uh, we better we better get something done about it. It's clearly unsatisfactory. Uh, I I fully expect you to be petitioning your bosses at the BBC. Stand by. <laughs> right, let's talk about what's happening in Ireland. This is a bit more serious, and it involves t- uh, trainer Tony Martin, Cheltenham Festival winning trainer. I mean, widely acknowledged as one of the sharpest trainers uh, around uh, and one of the most able. Uh, he's been hit with a ban after his third failed dope test in four years. However, that six-month ban has been suspended um, and it's been suspended for two years. If he contravenes any uh, medication violation in that period, he will immediately be fixed with a six-month ban. Now, take the personalities out of it. Uh, Rishi, and compare that to the Dennis Hogan case. Uh, Dennis Hogan got six months. Uh, mm. Is it one rule for one and one rule for another? Or not one rule, bit, or, or the application well, of one rule in it, one hand yes. and one, one rule for another? It does appear on the face of it, Nick, and it has to be on the face of it, because I, I don't know the entire ins and outs of it, but when you refer to Dennis Hogan's case and the latest news involving Tony Martin and the fact that, as you say, it's a six-month suspension uh, and that has been suspended for two years. Um, it's it, it leads you to believing that there is some discretion involved in the decision making. Yeah, with regards to Tony Martin in particular, it, it's a little bit like a, a child being told, right, you've been caught doing something wrong. Don't do it again. And that child then doing it again and then being caught again and being told, right, don't do it again because you'd be in big trouble. Well, I told you you'd be in big trouble the first time, but I'm going to tell you you're going to be in big trouble again the second time. And guess what? The child's doing it again. Um, and, and Tony Martin's, you know, it's, as you pointed out in the start of this particular segment, it's the third time in four years, and yet his suspension is suspended for, for two years. It does seem rather lenient in this, this regard. And the understanding of, of the application of the rules is somewhat mysterious i have to be honest in in observing what what's been handed down i I thought there were you know improvements in stringent rules with regards to how the ihrb were going to implement uh punishments for uh banned substances um but it appears in this case that they are somewhat lenient in comparison to one or two other individuals that you've already mentioned well and as with all cases like this whether it's ireland or britain they will be leaping up and down saying no 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 we prosecuted the case. The IHRB prosecuted the case, and mm-hmm. it was the it was the panel, the disciplinary panel, that decided that uh, he would get a suspended sentence. Now, of course, the IHRB have leave to appeal, as of course does does Tony yes. Martin. Though I would imagine he'd be fairly satisfied with the result. Uh, the IHRB have leave to appeal. My feeling is they will appeal this. Um, if you look at the evidence given by Dr. Lynn Hillier, um, she she talks quite at quite quite some length about um the the dosage of the prohibited substance um the uh, lidocaine 
and the the like the likelihood of that dosage and when it was administered mm. um, and the short acting nature of it and if you read through that and i would recommend you go to the ihlb website and read through that i i strongly suspect that on the basis of that uh, and the the panel's um mitigation and what they put down as their mitigation the ihlb will 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 appeal this yeah and think uh, in the the article that appeared in the racing post um dr hillier thought that the uh, administration of the banned substance took place within hours of the sample being taken on the race day which would lead you to then thinking well if that is if that can be proven if that is the case and that is the opinion of dr hillier then that surely warrants a more severe penalty and it, it's a serious offense a very grave offense Okay, so on yesterday's podcast, we talked extensively about the BHA's statement that it released the day before yesterday, in part in response to the report that had been written as part of PhD research by Dr. Elena Bowden, and also in response to the increased number of uh, complaints, allegations that it had received of bullying uh, and sexual misconduct in horse racing. Uh, we spoke to uh, NAS Chief Executive George McGrath about his experiences, and we also spoke to uh, the BHA's Director of Integrity and Regulation, Tim Naylor. And I received some communication last night from um, someone who's probably pretty crucial uh, to this conversation as we move forward, the Chief Executive of the British Racing School, uh, Andrew Braithwaite. And Andrew, you've been rolling this around in your head, I would imagine, for as long as you've been involved with young people in, in racing and, and training people to be the next generation of, of staff in the, in the industry or the, the, the industry's next, next workforce. And you had a few observations to share. What, what were your central ones? Certainly since um, I've been at the racing school, I think more, more carefully about the environments that yards provide and, and where our young people go. And, um, yeah, interesting listening to George and the debate. And I think that for so many of us in racing, uh, our private lives and our social lives and our work lives are, are intertwined and, and the barriers between them are, are blurred in, in so many examples. And, and as I messaged you last night, you know, um, when I was at, at KPMG and working as an accountant, we we'd go and play football in the evenings and go to the pub. Uh, but then, of course, the next day we all put a suit on and walked into an office. So there were lots of social cues there for us to say, now you're at work and you need to behave differently to you did last night when you were having a kick around. And I think quite common in racing for for groups of staff to go out and socialise together, you know, wearing wearing a pair of jeans, quite casual, and then, and then perhaps be at work three, four, five hours later, again, just wearing jeans, quite casual, exactly the same people. And the, the environment is, is quite relaxed and, and good fun. And, and we want to keep that, but, but we want to also make it potentially a little bit more professional. So um, I, th I think trainers and, and others who are running businesses, we, we all need to get together and help each other and and, and decide what we want the culture to be like and then make sure the environment's supporting that. I suppose the, the flip side of that coin or the inverse to that is that if you are out in a social environment um, with 
a load of work colleagues, at what point in that social environment do you or are you able to forget that those people are your work colleagues, if at all? Um, yeah, I think it depends. And again, in racing, it's quite quite a young demographic and lots of young people, you, you are working with people who become very close friends and that that breaks down those, those barriers between social life and work life. Um, and, uh, and I think an, an, another thing in yards, as you become more senior and you take on more responsibility, you, you perhaps don't have sort of, again, don't have cues that your relationships with others have changed in, in the same way that lots of other businesses would. You know, um, in, in an office environment, it'd be, be quite often the more junior staff will sit in one area and, and if you get promoted, you actually move desk. And, and that's a very, uh, you know, that, that that's a sign that things have changed, haven't it? And actually, um, for those of the, you know, I was at, at the BRS as the finance director before I took over from Grant as chief exec. And, and we, we actually debated as a team whether or not I should move office. And it was decided that I should because the CEO should sit in the CEO's office and that was a sign that I was no longer the finance director and I was now the CEO and I quite like my, my old office but but actually we, we thought about it and said no it's important that you move because that's a, a sign that something's changed and it, what changes when a young member of staff has been somewhere two years and starts looking after a barn other than the fact that they start looking after the barn. You know, do we help them as as employers to to recognise that their responsibilities have changed and their relationships with the within the team need to change as a result? Um, and I'm I'm not sure we always do. Uh, and that's the sort of thing I think that actually trainers need to to think about. But also the the BHA, the, the British Racing School, others need to help trainers to structure their businesses and things like that because we're all we're all first and foremost horse people and and perhaps not business people and perhaps not people managers so um let's let's use this as a point in time to to start some conversations and and try and rather than just saying the culture needs to change let's say what what actual things need to change what relationships need to change what working practices need to change to drive and support that that culture change. Andrew, thanks so much for talking to me. I think that's a, a very interesting ad- addition to, to this conversation, and um, I wish you all the best. Just before you go, uh, you are you are charged with sending hundreds, if not thousands, of young people out into this industry, and I'm sure there are um, parents of young people who've looked at one or two things that have been written and said over the last few days and would have concerns. Um, do, do you feel do you feel comfortable and confident in in what in what we are doing as an industry sending those young people into racing yards in light of what you've read and heard? Um, yes, and we we're, we're aware that there are issues, there are challenges, and there are behaviours that that just don't come up to the standards that we all want. But I think it's really important to to recognise and remember that the experience for the for the overwhelming majority of our young people is is hugely positive working with racehorses amazing amazing job 
brilliant fun. Um, I've had communications from two trainers this week reporting back on, on young people that have gone to work for them fairly recently. Both really positive. Both trainers have spoken to the parents as a direct link between the employer and the parents. So parents are reporting back to trainers that their children are really happy. So th there's loads of really great stuff going on out there. We just need to, to tighten up on the stuff that's not, not up to standard. All right, that was Andrew Braithwaite. And uh, somehow, Rishi Passat, I feel like a, 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 there's a bit, bit of a shaft of light here rather than rather than mm. all the heat, there is some light there. I think that's a, a really considered contribution from someone who is actually in a position where uh, this sort of thing is completely crucial to the to the, to the way he he operates the the business that he has to operate yeah I, I I like the fact that he has some really good observations on how yards conduct themselves in in light of uh, things that perhaps we a lot of people who are not involved in a day-to-day -day working of a racing yard may not be aware of the other important role that he he played and you alluded to to it when you spoke to him is the fact that he has to be confident that when people go through the British Racing School, they are already prepared for life uh, ahead of them, whether it's in a racing yard or not. And there's a code of conduct now that um, people must adhere to, those people that he's trained and the people that he's trained who are now they're going to be working for also have to abide by a code of conduct. I think there is a there is light at the end of the tunnel, Nick. And the most important thing is that this has obviously plagued the industry for a long time. The evidence of the research of Dr. Eleanor Bowden, et cetera, suggests that uh, it has been a major problem. Uh, it is a one incident is one incident too many, but at least it's being highlighted and at least it's been brought to the surface and something is going to be done about it rather than nothing. And, you know, that's to be commended in the in the grand scheme of things. You've got to you've got to uh, to deal with admit the admit the issue deal with the problems and then become better at it and and hopefully it's the start of a of a better process of how people conduct themselves within the sport of horse racing all right let's talk about racing uh, what's happening today you're at cheltenham tomorrow as well just just quickly give me a line on on horses that you think might excel over the next couple of days <laughs> well i'm not sure exactly what time this will get uh, depends on your editing skills but I am excited, very excited about Dysart Enos, who runs in the first race of Cheltenham today. Oh, no she chance. Might be... What time's that? Sorry? What time's that? Uh, 12.05, no? Uh, well, I've got a chance. I've got a chance. If you're one of the first listeners, you might get to it. Okay, all right. Anyway, imagine um, she's won already. Okay, let's hope she's won. Okay, right. Well, Dysart Enos. Um, other than that, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing Geskill over the uh, cross-country course. He's a horse that I really like and admire, and I think the test will suit him. And obviously tomorrow in the December Gold Cup, I'm looking forward to the appearance again of Il Rodoto. I think he and uh, Fugitive are the two solid horses, yet for whatever reason, Thunder Rock, who's got some questions to answer in a bigger field, is jumping in the way he will go through the race. Uh, and Mon Morale, who's got questions to answer after being pummeled in his last two starts. I know he's had a wind up and he is trained by Genius and Paul Nichols, but there's a lot to, to prove still. Um, so I would be on the side of Il Rodoto and Fugitive as the two solid choices in that race. I agree with the former, and I think Brownie Frost will get a really good tune out of him as well. I, I'd like to so see, just let him freewheel. I think I think it could be, not Frodon-esque, but do you know what I mean? I think yeah. that style is going to suit him. I think the new course suits him better than the old course. 
and I think it's quite a, an inspired book. And kind of Harry Cobden couldn't not ride Montmirail really because he's a sort of sexy horse. Yeah. He's, he, a, could, a, he could have a stone up his sleeve, but it's a big. Paul Nichols mentioned he did a, a a gallop with Harry Cobden the other day, which was quite quite decent, and that sort of swayed things. Certainly in Paul Nichols' mind, that that's the horse that Harry Cobden should be riding. Well, a week from now, we'll be concentrating on the big pre-Christmas Ascot meeting, which takes place on the twenty third of December. And one of the great headline acts there will be Paisley Park. He'll be seeking to win the Long Walk Hurdle, the Grade 1 Staying Hurdle, for the fourth time. He's won it twice at Ascot and once, amazingly, last year against the odds at a track nobody thought he'd like at Kempton. But he's confounded so many people down the years, and I'm sure that includes his uh, devoted owner, Andrew Gemmell, who's, who's with me now. Andrew, it seems scarcely believable that we're still having this conversation. I know, it's 20, what, 2018 for the first time. I mean, yeah. I mean, a, a remarkable, redoubtable horse. Just, just tell me now, when you look back on it all, uh, what it's what it's meant to you and how it's how it's changed you, really. Well, it's, it's immeasurable, really. I mean, he won the first time. I was quite hopeful the first time, and then the second time, but well, actually, won at Cheltenham, and then he won the Cleve, and then of course he had the heart problem, and then the whole thing is just an amazing story from beginning to end. But well, hopefully, not end yet. And, and what what can we really expect of him? Do you think now? And we saw that great run at, at Newbury the other day. What's been the the vibe, the feedback from Emma Lavelle and her partner Barry Fenton and and everybody involved in the yard? I think it was still pretty hopeful. I mean, he ran such a great race the first time with that against Dassel Dash. I mean, two old boys like that battling it out. And the year before, he just lost to Champ. And uh, hopefully, this time he can get it right and come again. And. I'm sure you'll join everyone in sort of wishing Aidan Coleman a very speedy recovery as well because he's been so instrumental to this, this horse's trajectory. Oh, massively so. And I was so pleased to see him come to Newbury because I was worried that he wouldn't come, you know, some sort of him, the horse, but he was there and it was great to see him there on, on the two weeks ago. So he, he came just to support you? Yes, support the horse, yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's a pretty classy thing to do. Uh, uh, as far as... As far as you, you're concerned, Andrew, I mean, you've you've been lucky enough to be involved in some really good horses aside from from Paisley Park, um, uh, you know, Christ Turn, and you were involved in a uh, Trushan, of course, as well, uh, who's been another great folk hero. But uh, tell me, tell me for you, why why Paisley's a bit different? Well, I think when you think that he, after he was second at Warwick, first time, then he. He, he almost died, and, and he's just come back, and it's, he's just it's the whole. Everyone seems to, you know, be at test matches or football grounds. They always say, "Come on, Paisley!" It's unbelievable. It means a lot, really. And, and in terms of what it's done in, for your interest in the sport as well, has it has it grown? It would you have would you have gone into all these other horses were it not for him? Well, I couldn't afford it to. It wasn't him, Nick, actually. But uh, yes, I mean, I've always been very keen, and uh, and but it's just been I've been so fortunate to have this horse, and. He's been great for me and for Emma and Barry and Aidan, of course. Now Tom's going to be riding him at Ascot a week on Saturday, all being well. This is Tom Bellamy, of course. So all systems go is the is the short answer to, to my question. I hope so. I just think it's going to be a great day. Let's hope we go ahead this year because, of course, last year he was abandoned and uh, I was in Australia when he went at Kempton. And... Obviously, there's a period in horses' careers and lives when there's massive pressure on because everyone just expects them to win every single time. Is it, in a sense, a bit more enjoyable to be owning him now that that kind of pressure is slightly alleviated? Yes, definitely. I think, cause, and you know everyone's just so supportive of him as well. He's, he's just become a bit of a, a cult hero now. It's, it's great. I love it still. And I just hope he runs well next week. It's so important just to 
I'd love to win a fourth, and then a fourth cleave would be great as well. Well, it's a pleasure to talk to you again, Andrew. Thanks so much. Thank you. Well, there have been plenty of headlines recently about some rather uncertain times in the bloodstock industry, and in, indeed that simply reflects wider society, I think, at, at the moment. And you know, we've been enjoying or enduring some sort of spectacular moments in the sales ring uh, on the flat at both Goffs and Tattersalls, and some quite difficult days as well, where mares were extremely hard to, to sell. As a big result yesterday at a National Hunt sale at Goffs in Ireland, when the, the top lot bought a winning bid of €240,000 from Kulmara Stables. And said mayor, Zarka Averin Fulton, no risk at all, was um, uh, consigned by Katie Rudd through her and John Dwan's Bally Redden and Bushestown draft. Uh, Katie joins me on the line now. Katie, as, as big results go, how big is that for you? Uh, yeah, that's some um, huge um, sort of morning, Nick. It was it was very very exciting. That was the first time I sold a mare to make that price. Um, a couple of times I've been on the buying end of them for for French clients, um, but never at that level. So no, that was that was huge. Okay, so talk us through the journey. How did it How did it all start? Where did it Where did it all come from? Uh, it all started probably when she was three years old. Nikki Bertrand de Belanda, who's French dust occasion I work very closely with bought her for Robcourt. So Robcourt raced her at, um, obviously in their colours and, and had great success with her. And when it came to retirement age, um, they contacted Nikki and said um, she was she was up for sale. And Nikki rang me and said, you got to have her. So I got together a couple of partners and and we bought her. And she was, she was beautiful. She was just oh, size and scope and everything you're looking for with the pedigree as well, obviously. And then everything just fell into place. There was nomination to No Risk at All came up through another French friend. They they just don't happen to get nominations to him, spare ones. So we sent her over to Anthony Boudoir in Hogany. She went in full on one cover. Um, and then she came home. We, I suppose we fetal sexed it, realized it was a cult. Poor old No Risk at All had his accident. So she was one of only you know a few mares to go in full to him that year. And we suddenly realized that we had, you know, from what we had a very nice mare in full, we suddenly had a, you know, a rare diamond. Um, Harry Fowler from Goss found out that I had her. And he was incredibly tenacious. He's like, please, will you sell her with us, please? <laughs> Harry, we've lots of options. We could, you know, a full out of her would, would um, you know, probably pay for the whole project as well. But no, it was down to Harry that she went up to Goss. I was going to say that that must have taken quite a bit of of chewing over because it you you knew you had a no risk at all cult coming out of a beautifully bred mare and a, a given her physique it's unlikely he'd have been anything other than a than a belter and as you say that that could have just been the the gift that kept on giving so what do you have to weigh up at that point from your point of view what are all the other interests that you've got that mean that you have to kind of make that decision it's a huge it's a very risky game you know there's uh, so much can go wrong um with the game as you know and so it was it was really just putting a price in our heads of what we what we could let her go at and and if not she was coming home so i mean normally i'm you know i'm a nervous wreck up at sales but it was the most relaxed probably one of the most relaxed i'd ever been she, she doesn't sell she comes home and we get a hopefully a beautiful cult full to go to the sales with next year and i'm sure that full at some stage probably would have topped the sale one day so it was it was all quite relaxing and i i took this as a as a salutary lesson really this this story insofar as that 
if you put the graft in early in early in your your life and career then the rewards will come and um obviously when you and I were studying together in Paris uh, <laughs> 25 years ago and you were working a lot harder than I was on both improving your French and uh, making making connections um clearly that French connection has stood you in very good stead yeah no it has I, I actually I've been I've been nowhere without that that French connection um I've worked with some amazing people in France and and I love France I love going to France I love you know I love the French system and you know I'm based here in Ireland and we've got an amazing system over here so for me to be able to get the best of both the best of both worlds is just I'm very lucky I feel that um Desmond Stoneham your old governor would be very proud yeah, it's probably one of the few things. Yeah, I think I was a bit of a tearaway when I was there with him at the time in the IRB. But um, yeah, poor, sadly, Desmond died there just over a year ago. Um, but that was my one of my first groundings in France, as well as obviously with Francois Dumen before that. But yeah, no, I do a lot to Desmond as well. Uh, Katie, lovely to chat uh, and well done yesterday. It was a great result. Thanks, Nick. If you are somebody who goes racing in Yorkshire an awful lot there are certain things that are going to be very precious to you one of those is go racing in Yorkshire which I think is one of the the best bodies for promoting racing anywhere in the country another one is the Macmillan Charity Day at York Racecourse that takes place every June and has raised countless millions uh, for Macmillan cancer down the years now Charlotte Russell is combining her role as general manager of Go Racing in Yorkshire with the opportunity to ride in this race, which has been granted and announced today. And she's a friend of the show and she joins me now. And I, I've sort of given an indication as to what I think this might mean for you, but you can confirm it for, for all sorts of personal reasons. Yes, Nick. Um, I'm so excited to have been accepted to ride in the race. Um, it's uh, uh, I just I, c- I can't believe I'm going to be able to ride at York Racecourse, and I'm doing it in memory of my godmother, who we sadly lost earlier this year to cancer. So there's a lot of personal reasons, um, and I suppose it, it sort of fulfills a, a, a long time ambition I've always had, but possibly didn't know I had. <laughs> okay, so tell me a little bit about your own riding background and how much you're going to have to do between now and then to be where you want to be. Yeah, so I was lucky enough to grow up with uh, ponies as a child, did pony club, lots of hunting. Um, my family have always bred point-to-pointers. So as I got a bit older, um, I moved on, on to riding out the point-to-pointers. Never rode in a race, um, but um, was involved at home. Um, but then sort of got into my um, early 20s and, and didn't ride as much as I, have do- as I had been doing. Um, and so I've got a lot to do. I'm hoping that the muscle memory is going to come into play and it will remember what we've done in the past. Um, I've been riding out at Mark Walford's yard at Sheriff Hutton. Um, so I've been going in, the, in there a bit and I'll have to go in an awful lot more to, uh, to be ready for the race, as well as running and dieting. And have you got a ride lined up? Have you got something in your mind? Um, well, nothing concrete yet. Uh, Mark has said if there's something in the yard, then um, uh, he might be able that, that that I could ride. Then then that would be a possibility. Um, but my my husband's on that uh, on a bit of a mission for me. Um, I think he's uh, entertaining trainers in Moulton with pints, uh, trying to get me rides in races. <laughs> well, you've got you've got quite a you've got quite a wide net to cast there, haven't you? It's a captive audience. 
Yes, yes, in, indeed. Um, but there's, there's several, there are several Yorkshire people taking part in, in the race. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I think that a few of the trainers will, will be called on in the area. But it's great to see there's a few people from further afield as well. So uh, that might help us a little bit. Do you know any of your rivals or do you know of any of your rivals? I certainly know two of them. Um, Charlotte Lawson from Kirby Moorside, I know through the point-to-pointing field. She used to ride against my sister. Um, and Camilla Parsonage, um, who's done a, a lot of, of event riding and, and dressage riding. Uh, and it's so nice just to know that we're all in it together and we've got some friends to do it with. And how can we donate? Uh, so there's a Just Giving page. We all have a Just Giving page through Macmillan. Um, mine has got my name Charlotte Russell in it so if you go to the Just Giving website you'll find it there Charlotte thanks Charlotte thanks so much best of luck thank you all right that's that then for this Friday Rishi Passad is still with me and will give you something for the weekend I think I've already referred to it Nick but I'm I'm going all in on Il Rodoto to win the December Gold Cup I like you believe that Brani Frost will get a, a really good tune out of him He's rock solid. Obviously, yeah, he's got a terrific record here at Cheltenham. Um, and I, I just imagine she'll get him in a great rhythm and he'll finish the race off strongly. I like the fact that Paul Nichols said straight away after the, after the uh, the Paddy Power Gold Cup that irodoto has got a massive chance now. This race will bring him on hugely for the, um, for the December Gold Cup when he comes back here. And I, 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 that's the plan. So despite Mon Morale appearing on the scene, I'm, I'm sticking with that. Right. Um, good. Now you have been elevated to the lofty status of ordinary, no. mem- ordinary member of the job. avoid this. There There's go. nothing ordinary about you either. I, when I read that you'd been elevated to the status of ordinary member of the jockey club, I thought they don't know him like I do. He's ex- he's extraordinary. Yeah, he's not. I'm ordinary. just an ordinary member. That's There's all I am. Nothing ordinary about your membership. <laughs> um, to, oh dear. Tell me how Dido Harding, uh, for it is she, the third most, well, the third, third most famous Dido in history. Uh, yeah. After the, after the Queen of Carthage and the and the girl yeah. that sang White Flag, um, yeah. tell me how she is going to lead uh, your organisation um, into the sunny uplands. I have no idea how she's going to lead our organisation. I'm getting my feet under the table. I mean, the, the thing about becoming a member of the Jockey Club, I think some people who look at it cynically say, "Oh, it's for this person, it's for that person." Well, traditionally, historically, there's been a certain um prerequisite to, to join the jockey club but the jockey club is trying to change um and the jockey club is now asking people to come on board who they feel will help the sport of horse racing um whether it's me whether it's dido baroness dido harding whether it's zara tyndall whoever is joining the jockey club um are joining with the sole purpose to try and improve the sport of horse racing and trying to improve the jockey club's contribution to the sport of horse racing and in all honesty, that's that's the main reason that I joined. You know, we've spoken about this before. That you, myself, many other people that work in the sport of horse racing have have got a good life and a good way of living out of the sport of horse racing. And I'd like to do something to to help it. Um, I think it would only be fair, considering the fact that horse racing has helped me so much. And I would hope that every other member of the jockey club, whether ordinary or not, would have the same sentiment. Um, here, here, and well said. And I will see you again very soon. And Charlotte will be back here this evening with a roundup of what's happening uh, en route to tomorrow's action. So do tune into that, the Saturday edition. Well over 100 editions of that now. She's done a brilliant job. And um, I will be back on Monday, bright and early. 
So thanks for listening, and we will see you again after the weekend. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.